Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is another edition of Canada's Most Irreverent Talk Show. It is Tuesday, February 28th, 2023. Fantastic to have you aboard the show. I was planning to spend a considerable amount of the show today talking about the uh, rather feckless denunciation by the Conservatives of Christine Anderson, who we had as a guest on this program a a few weeks ago, uh, completely adopting the left-wing narrative about this woman and so far not uh, proffering any evidence in support of it. Now, I am going to talk about that a little bit later on in the show, but I I feel we need to start with things that are of greater significance first. And one of them is going to be an extension, uh, sadly, of a discussion we spent a considerable time on last week on the show, and that is uh, China's continued meddling in Canada's elections and Canada's democracy. Now, I want to say first and foremost what I said last week, which is that China's election interference is not something that we should view in isolation. China is meddling in pretty much every Western institution imaginable. You see China's hands all over scientific research, all over the academic world, politics, of course, and certainly the media. So uh, the fact that China is also trying to interfere in and sway the results of elections should not surprise us. But we have obviously a sentimentalism that exists around democracy because elections are very important. Democracy is important. There should be sentimentalism there, which means that we should also be mightily offended when we find out in tangible, concrete ways, not only that China is trying to meddle in our elections, but they've done so in rather sophisticated ways. And the intelligence eyes in Canada told the government about this, who basically just looked at it and said, yeah, okay, whatever. So what's happened now is the Liberals have been backed into a bit of a corner. As we've seen, uh, Justin Trudeau has been faced with what is fairly concrete proof from uh, a CSIS person who's, or people who are leaking to the Globe and Mail that uh, there was pretty uh, a pretty long runway in which CSIS was raising its concerns with the government. At one point, as we've learned in the past week, CSIS said to the Liberals, uh, you know, this candidate of yours in Toronto, uh, Han Dong, you really, really, really really should drop him as a candidate. The Liberals apparently said no. Uh, He was a candidate. He won a seat. He's now a member of parliament and has been oddly nonspecific 
when it comes to uh, the questions that he's been asked about whether he was the beneficiary of significant support from China's con uh, consulate in Toronto. In fact, he uh, issued a statement in which he said, uh, no, 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 this is all false, Nothing's th nothing to see there, and managed to not even use the word China in his statement. He didn't say, I take China's interference seriously. He didn't mention them at all, but claimed that he had nothing to do with whatever it is he's being accused of. Uh, Justin Trudeau, for his part, has said that anyone raising these questions is a big old dirty racist. Take a look. Just a follow-up on that question on CSIS and Handong. Are you saying that they didn't warn you or were you warned and you chose to dismiss it for those reasons? Uh, just wanted some clarification. Once again, one of the things we've seen, unfortunately, over the past years is a rise um, in uh, anti-Asian racism linked to the pandemic uh, and concerns being raised uh, or arisen uh, around uh, people's loyalties. I want to make everyone understand fully that Han Dong uh, is an outstanding member of our team and suggestions that uh, he is uh, somehow not loyal to Canada um, should not be entertained. So the insinuation is that uh, Mr. Dong, like uh, several other members of parliament or candidates, was the recipient of support from the Chinese regime, either directly or indirectly through the consulate, through other people. And this is a pretty significant allegation. No one is saying that Han Dong is not a loyal Canadian or a patriotic Canadian. People are saying that, you know, clearly China was seeing in him something of value to them, and we have to wonder what that is. And one in interesting observation that comes out. There was a, a day, and I can't remember when it was, when parliamentarians were voting on a motion to do with the Uyghurs. And uh, Mr. Dong had been in Parliament all day. He had been voting in favor of this motion and that motion, and on it went. And when it came time for the motion on Uyghurs, he uh, conveniently wasn't in the chamber. He had actually left for what ended up becoming a unanimous motion. Now, you might ask, why would someone, maybe he had to go to the bathroom, Maybe he had to take a call. Who knows what happened? Uh, maybe he got his wires crossed and there was a scheduling error, but why would a guy who'd been in the House of Commons uh, conspicuously be absent when it came time to vote on something when uh, the vote did not go the way that the Chinese wanted? So this is a legitimate question that we should be able to ask. But to Justin Trudeau, if you want to have this discussion, you are a racist. And it's almost as though this is a strategy by the Chinese regime to neutralize itself from criticism, which is very much important and very substantive criticism. Uh, let's talk about this in further detail with Patricia Adams, who is the executive director of Probe International. She's uh, done a tremendous work on China, has written about it uh, in recent weeks as well. Uh, Patricia, good to talk to you again. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you, Andrew. So let's start off with just the variety of ways in which China does try to exact its control in the West. Because I think a lot of the times people have this very uh, Cold War Soviet-US vision of what a spy is. And they imagine, you know, the, the undercover person that, you know, integrates themselves in the community. But, but espionage and influence uh, are related terms. They're not uh, exactly symmetrical. And we see in, in China's case the number of institutions that they tend to penetrate through uh, academia, business, politics. It, it's quite vast. 
It sure is. And it goes starts at the at the international level and it goes right down to the municipal levels of uh, various countries. And uh, they they are essentially following a strategy of destabilization uh, so that they can uh, wield influence in countries like Canada. So they want to get people in Parliament and in legislatures and in city councils who who will make decisions that are favorable to them. It's a very clever strategy, I think. You know, rather than firing a bullet, you uh, you insinuate yourself into a country and you get friendly, um, especially friendly uh, elected representatives who will come up with policies that are that are very friendly to you. So, for example, in Canada, they wanted uh, Huawei to have the 5G network. They want to invest in critical um, minerals. They would like to have various contracts, uh, for example, with the federal government so that they can uh, monitor activity. And they've done very well in Canada, surprisingly well, getting contracts with the RCMP. For example, um, a year or two ago, they were running the uh, visa office in Beijing. So anyone applying for visas coming from China uh, would be uh, well known to the Beijing police, who were the, who, who were the uh, owners of the company that were that were providing the visas. So they have a lot of different ways that they will try to insinuate themselves. And as you say, uh, universities is a very powerful way too, because that's how they can steal technology. When we're talking about uh, some of the allegations that are at the core of these Globe and Mail and other media reports uh, to do with election interference, and I want to be clear here, we haven't seen the reports. We're getting this all through, uh, you know, through uh, sources that are talking to the Globe and Mail and Global News, and then those reporters are, are conveying them. So even though it paints a very clear portrait, there are still some aspects of this that are unanswered. But do, do we think it's that China is looking at various candidates and parties and saying, you know, we think this person is probably going to align with what we care about as a country, as a regime, when these issues pop up? Or do you think it's a lot more deliberate than that, where they're going to these people early on in their careers and saying, hey, we can help you along, but we need something in return? Or is it a bit of both? Oh, I, I imagine it's a bit of both. Uh, for sure, there's a lot of communication between people in the consulate and I'm sure in the uh, embassy, but between them and various people in, in Canada, whether it's universities, they have all sorts of friendship committees, they have trips of uh, people going to China. Um, absolutely, they, they're looking for contracts, they're looking for inns, they're looking for all kinds of influence. Uh, and they they are apparently succeeding. I mean, I think that the, the documents that have been leaked are powerful. Uh, and it, we really should salute whoever is getting this information into the hands of uh, Global News and also the Global Mail, because this is extremely important information. If we don't have control over our elections, we don't have control over our country. And uh, it's clear that that um, uh, something's going on, something very, very serious is going on. The, part of the problem is that we don't have the tools to find out. The, the uh, committees in Parliament have done a good job trying to get information. The problem is that, uh, that they cannot get it because the NDP are teaming up with the Liberals to stop the disclosure of information uh, through investigations at these various committees. And then, of course, the, the government comes back and says, well, we've got lots of experts and they're reviewing the situation. And I can, you know, we can assure you that the election held. Well, they can't assure us. They can't. It's clear that they did not. It looks like uh, anywhere from nine to 13 and maybe more conservative seats were lost 
to the Liberals. That would change a lot in the House of Commons and in the committees uh, if, if those seats had not gone to the Liberals and instead had gone uh, to one of the other parties, but especially to the Conservatives. It would have changed the dynamics considerably. Yeah, and, and I do think that the timing of this new ban on TikTok on government devices is obviously not coincidental. And, and I think it, it's, it's hilarious in a way. I mean, it's a serious issue, but you can't help but laugh when people are saying we need an inquiry into election interference. We need you to get serious on uh, Chinese espionage and influence in Canada's elections. And uh, Trudeau says, OK, hold off on that. I'm going to ban TikTok on public servants' iPhones. And, and it's like, well, I'm... Okay, sure. But yeah, let's get back to the big thing here. And I mean, I, I realize that the hardest hit by this is Jugmeet Singh, who's having to kiss away now his, you know, 800 and however many thousand followers. But, but in all seriousness, I mean, if this is the extent of our tough on China policy, we're in trouble. Yes, absolutely. And I think what the, the Liberals are doing is handing out uh, small things in a piecemeal fashion. They also have constructed um, an election monitoring system, many, many, many committees, so many committees, I was keeping track of them, so many that I started a, a spreadsheet because there, there were a lot of committees and a lot of protocols and a lot of initiatives and so on. Uh, and it, it, it creates the aura that they are doing something. But in fact, most of these institutions lead back to the prime minister uh, and to the government that, that uh, when, when there's a report about something going wrong, who gets that information? It's the government. It's not Elections Canada right away. It's not um, uh, CSIS and of course, uh, some of the other agencies, the RCMP will have information. They are lacking in uh, tools essentially to prosecute and to, uh, to, to actually stop this from happening. So for example, CSIS, they can investigate, but they can't prosecute. They have to report to the government. That's as far as they can go. So that's why when you get reports from them, they tend to be public reports. They tend to be quite vague. The detail that's coming out in these leaked uh, documents through the Global Mail and through Global News are, are extremely important. It's, it's starting to give information to the public. Ultimately, this is information for us. This is our country. These are our votes. This is our government. We need to know what is going on in Canada. And at the moment, the Liberals and the NDP are stonewalling, stopping that stopping that information from becoming public. I, I, what I was saying is that I, I loathe Trump comparisons because I find them overused and, and rarely effective. But, uh, you know, I remember the hand-wringing and pearl-clutching when Donald Trump was criticizing the intelligence community. And now we've got Justin Trudeau effectively doing the same thing. He's calling the people at CSIS racist indirectly, uh, and I'd say veering on directly. And he's also uh, essentially saying that they lied because his whole line up to this point has been, yeah, I wasn't briefed, I wasn't told. And it's as though all of this stuff he's learning about for the first time. So he's actually boxed himself into a corner here where he can't say what I think would have been his best defense, which was, yeah, they gave us the intelligence, but it wasn't compelling. Uh, and, and we moved on because he basically said, uh, no, we never saw it. And now he's forced to just say, yeah, well, now this is you guys are all racist. Like th there's nothing there to his response. Yeah. And the two documents that were uh, released initially to Global News and then uh, were made public at the um, PROC or the uh, the committee that's dealing with this in the in the House of Commons uh, are there they're publicly available we posted them on our website you can look at them there's they're they're heavily redacted but there's still a lot of good information in there to look at so it's very clear that the government knew about this I mean you know th this is obviously a major issue it's been a major issue going back to 2010 I am sure 
that on the first or second day of being in office that the prime minister was briefed on this. He would have had a national security briefing and this had to be on there. It is a major issue. It has been for over a decade. There's no way that he could claim not to know all of this information. And, and I think the documents that are coming out show that he did know, he was informed, his office knew, the PCO knew. They're coordinating the, 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 the receipt of all of this information from all the various committees that he's established. So they know for sure what's going on. Patricia Adams of Probe International, always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, people can find much of your recent work on this at probeopinion.substack.com, and they should also subscribe when they're there as well. Patricia, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I should say, I mean, we're condensing what is a years-long effort by the Chinese regime into, a, I don't know what that was, a 17-, 18-minute conversation. We're going to follow this more, but as I said last week, that it's clear that this is a, a drip, 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 as they say, in media. There's more and more coming out about this by the day. Uh, so, you know, it's been, I don't know, five days since the last show, and I have, you know, have that many more stories uh, that I need to condense into this discussion. But I think the takeaway that you need to remember here, if nothing else because oftentimes when the liberals are embroiled in scandal they want it to be muddled they want to obfuscate they want it to be something that's so complicated that people can't understand it which was how they weathered the we scandal and snc lavalin and all of that what you need to remember is that china has been backing justin trudeau since at least 2013 and this was an important development of this that just came out today, where a Chinese businessman wanted to give $200,000 to the Trudeau Foundation, conveniently right after Justin Trudeau became leader of the Liberal Party. Now, uh, you could obviously donate to the Trudeau Foundation at any time. Personally, I would rather light my money on fire and then light myself on fire, uh, just in case. But you could donate, if that's your bag, to Justin Trudeau's foundation. Sorry, Pierre Trudeau's foundation. Totally different. Totally independent, arm's length, etc. But if that's what you want to do, go for it. But it does strike you as a bit odd, I hope. If you want to donate, having never donated to the foundation before, immediately after the guy who shares a name with the foundation becomes the presumptive next prime minister of Canada. That was what a businessman connected to the Chinese regime and the Chinese consulate did. He gave them $200,000. Oh, the guy at the Trudeau Foundation who received that donation is now the guy that's overseeing the report into China's interference in the election. So remember that if you remember nothing else. And I would also say beyond that, remember that first Justin Trudeau said this never happened. He was never warned. He didn't have all this information from CSIS. And now he's saying, well, it's all a load of crap. The information's not real. You've got Gerald Butts on there doing the, uh, the Globe and Mail is fake news shtick, which is as Trumpian as it gets. And this is what we're now seeing from Justin Trudeau. So whether it will spell the end of Justin Trudeau, I think people should always remain realistic about this because no other scandal has. But at the same time, we also need to realize this is big. And you have people that have never said an unkind word about Justin Trudeau now that are getting very uncomfortable with how this story is unfolding. Uh, let's talk about the flip side of this and some of the big picture discussions that are taking place in Canada, uh, specifically around the 
conservative movement. In uh, just a few weeks' time, the conservatives of this country, with a small C for reasons that we'll get to in a moment, will be descending on the nation's capital for not another convoy, but the Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference. I am going to be back. The True North team is going to be there, and I'll actually be doing a live edition of this show on stage, which I hope you will watch either in person or online. Uh, but the president of the Canada Strong and Free Network, Jamil Giovanni, is back on the show. Jamil, good to talk to you, sir. Welcome. Yeah, great to be back with you, Andrew. And certainly I would encourage the audience to be there in person if possible. You can watch the replay <laughs> online, but I hope you'll be there with Andrew and I in Ottawa. There we go. No, that's the better sales pitch, especially, I mean, the line for conservatives and libertarians is that, you know, it was illegal for two years to gather in person. So you should like, just despite the people that made it illegal, want to gather in person as, uh, as much as you can here. But this is uh, going to be coming up in Ottawa. And I mean, obviously it's a bit interesting when the conservatives are not the ones in government because uh, I think a lot of the time and, and we saw this in uh, conferences past there's uh, been leadership debates there and and oftentimes the people there really try to shape the future of the conservative movement so what's the the theme or the tone that you're anticipating yeah well as you said Andrew you know the, the conference is coming up in just a few weeks March 22nd to 24th in the nation's capital and I think you know the theme of the conference is a very important one given our timing which is working for the middle class I think the average family in this country looks at our economy looks at our politicians and says they're not in it for us this is not working for us the average person life is getting more expensive things are getting more difficult institutions that should have our back don't seem to be advocating for our best interests so we're coming together to think about what does it look like to have a government what does it look like to make policy what does it look like to have an economy that's working for the middle class family and a lot of that Andrew, too, some of what you've been talking about today is about looking past the Trudeau liberals. They are reeling. They're not going to be around forever. At some point, the good Lord above will have mercy on us and there will be a change in government. And we've got to be prepared to lead. We've got to be prepared to do right by the Canadian people. And a lot of why we're getting together in Ottawa in a few weeks is to think about what it looks like when we have the chance to start making a difference. I know the, the Manning Center previously and now the, the Canada Strong and Free Network have always made a point of saying this is about the conservative movement, not the conservative party. But let's face it, there's a ton of overlap there. When you look at the speakers list, we've got the leader of the conservatives, Pierre Polyev. We've got uh, Danielle Smith, the premier of Alberta, people like like Garnet Jenis. So, so where do you position this conference and, and your organization in general in, in conservatism? Well, certainly, I believe we are still about the conservative movement. If you look at the politicians who are invited to uh, grace our stage, they are people who we believe care about the conservative movement. There is a difference between the party and the movement. And unfortunately, a lot of people in political parties don't care about the movement. We'd all be better off if there did, but unfortunately, they don't. So when we look at, you know, uh, Pierre Polyev, Danielle Smith, Stephen Harper, uh, Garnet Jenis, some of these folks, these are people who I believe, want to serve the movement in the role of politics. But there are politicians who have not been invited to our stage, Andrew, and for good reason, because they have a track record of not showing concern for the grassroots conservatives, like the folks listening to us now, um, who make the, the party possible. And that's one thing I always like to remind people. The political parties depend 
on volunteers. They depend on small dollar donors, the people who make up the movement. And we need to make sure that the party is accountable to the movement. That's one of the reasons why we build relationships with politicians, but ultimately we are independent for good reason. Well, and, and there's also always been a, a focus on the pragmatic. And I, I know historically best practices, which is more training oriented, ha, has been a, a separate event. But I, I think a lot of the times it, it's easy and I think important to sit around and talk about the big ideas. But if you don't have people that are interested or capable of putting those ideas into fruition, you're not really anything more than a talk shop. Exactly. And that's one thing I absolutely love about Preston Manning's legacy. You know, he was one of the co-founders of our organization 15 years ago, and he continues to be an advisor to me, a mentor to me. And a lot of what he encourages us to think about is how do we solve problems? How do we make sure we're not just talking, but we're laying out a foundation for how we can create change. And that is the spirit of our conference. You know, we do networking because we believe relationships and community are important, but we also need to learn from each other. And that's going to be how we solve problems. And as I said, start to prepare for a post-Trudeau world because this guy's not going to be prime minister forever. And we've got to know what we're going to do to make the country better when he's no longer leading us. That actually could have been a good conference title, preparing for the post-Trudeau world. But I, it's funny, though, because I, I remember the conference in, I think it was 2016, and there was a, a little bit of wound licking going on. People that saw, you know, the conservatives had just been trounced by Justin Trudeau, a liberal majority. Uh, the party didn't have a, a leader yet to replace Trudeau. Uh, in 2017, the leadership race was ongoing, and I remember Ron Ambrose was, was very popular. There was the big leadership debate that had like 97 candidates and they couldn't you know fit them all on stage at the first at, at once but 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 I think that there's there's a little bit more optimism now than there has been e even you know as recently as a couple of years ago about where things are which is quite helpful I agree and in my view a lot of the optimism Andrew comes from the fact that we're becoming more confident and apologetic about why conservatism is good for for Canadians. There was this time over a few years between, I would say, when Harper lost the election to Trudeau in 2015 and up until last year, where it felt like we were constantly operating on the defense, constantly apologizing for who we are and what we believe in. But now we're starting to be emboldened by the reality that liberal ideology is actually failing the average Canadian. And that is why the conservative movement has to step up. We've got to be active. We've got to be confident. And we've got to show people we can make things better. Our ideas work. We are not going to play defense. We're not going to be pushed around and bullied by the left. We have a real alternative to put forward. So just to, to talk about one of the challenges in conservatism here, and I, I know this is a, about a week old now, but I think it's relevant in that uh, you had, and you've been doing a tremendous job, by the way, as president uh, of this organization for about a year now, and, and you had a, a very, I think, incisive and uh, thoughtful discussion on critical race theory in which you had black people speaking about this from their own perspectives and as analysts and as people with lived experience, to use the word that, uh, that is so on vogue right now, and then James Moore, a, a, I would presume non-black identifying man, a former conservative cabinet minister, uh, tweets out, this is what the Manning Center has devolved into, such a shame. And I know you addressed this very eloquently in that discussion, but explain to me why you have people in the conservative movement and the conservative orbit in this country that think there's something wrong with talking about issues that matter to people. 
Yeah, it's weird because, you know, someone like James Moore, who really should know better, he's a cabinet minister in the Harper administration. Um, you know, you would think he'd be happy to see black people getting involved in conservative politics. I mean, that is what people like James Moore often say. They want more diversity, but then they get upset when diversity isn't what they expect it to look like. Um, and I think Dr. Leslie Lewis has faced a lot of that same uh, yeah. blowback um, as well. I guess, Andrew, there's sort of a charitable interpretation of someone like James Moore's criticisms, and then there's maybe a less charitable. On the charitable side, I'd say maybe he just doesn't know better. You know, this is a guy who might pay attention to politics, but might not understand that uh, there's a lot of differences of opinion in minority communities. Maybe he thinks that uh, things like critical race theory are associated with folks that he disagrees with and he doesn't understand how important it would be for conservatives from black communities and other minority communities to want to talk about these issues since it shapes the policies liberals create that affect our kids, that affect our communities, our neighborhoods. So I'll get, if I'm charitable, I'll say maybe he's just ignorant. But I think the more likely interpretation of it is that there is a conservative elite that wants us to play nice and play polite that anything that might not get them invited to fancy cocktail parties or dinners on bay street all of a sudden becomes taboo topics we shouldn't care about but that's exactly why the theme of our conference in march is working for the middle class because i don't care ultimately for james moore's approval and most, I would hope conservatives, the conservative movement doesn't either. We shouldn't be trying to please James Moore, uh, people at fancy law firms, people on Bay Street, people who are advocating like James Moore does for more business between Canada and China, by the way. We should be, in my view, prioritizing the needs of the average mom and dad, the average worker, the average student in this country. And if that means that we have to champion issues that people like James Moore get offended by, then He's welcome to get offended. I could, I could care less. You, you know, I remember when, when the conservatives were in government, uh, the Manning conferences at the time were, you know, basically the, the rundown, and I, I'm not at all besmirching it, but the rundown was oftentimes, you know, this conservative cabinet minister will speak, and then this conservative cabinet minister will speak, and then this conservative, like, and, and again, you want to hear from them, it's good, ministers are big celebrities, but what you're saying uh, indirectly, I think, is actually quite important here, which is that they should be listening. The, the politicians and a future and current for the conservative uh, party should be the ones in the audience largely listening to what other people in the movement are saying if they want to be connected and relevant to the grassroots. You're exactly right. And that's part of how we've organized this event. When Premier Danielle Smith is on stage, she'll be on stage with a business leader, Jocelyn Bamford. When uh, the Honorable Pierre Polyev is on stage, he'll be introduced by a business leader, Vesso Sobot. Uh, when uh, we welcome MPs on, they will often be speaking with other people as equals because we do not put politicians above the movement. And that is a really important principle that we live by. And as I mentioned before, you will notice that there are some politicians who are not on our stage. And we're very careful about who we invite because we believe it's important to invite people to speak to our audience who respect our audience and respect the conservative movement. At minimum, I think conservatives deserve that. So no one who uh, thinks the audience are a bunch of yahoos, for example? Well, you know, there are some politicians who I, yeah, I would say use words like that. And, you know, it's it can be a little bit uh, discouraging and a little bit sad to see. 
But my hope is that, you know, as we strengthen the movement and we build the movement, we'll show politicians that, you know, they really have to spend the time to understand us if they want to be elected, if they want to be able to do their job well, if they want to go around claiming to be a conservative, then they absolutely need to speak to conservatives and not take us for granted. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think we could do a whole hour, probably a whole week of shows on, on you know, conservatism in general in this country. But I've always believed that uh, capital C conservatives should never be allowed to define small C conservatism. They should be a reflection of small C conservatism. And I think the more you have the grassroots setting the tone, uh, the better off for the movement, the party and the country. I absolutely agree. And you know what? Even even politicians recognize that. And I know those who are listening to us or watching us, Andrew, will know you you probably get emails asking to donate your hard-earned money you probably get notices asking for you to volunteer for campaigns politicians need you when they need to get reelected and they should also care what you think in between those elections as well it's basic respect i mean these relationships should not be a one-way street where people come knocking on your door for money and time and volunteering when they need a favor from you but then not care what the conservative movement thinks when the time comes to make policy and make decisions that affect us and our kids well said. Well, we are uh, certainly looking forward to it. Uh, let's uh, tell the people, how can they register? Well, you can go on our website, canadastrongandfree.network, where you will find our registration page. Also, you'll find links to our registration page on my Twitter account or my Instagram, at Jamil Giovanni. Please do join us March 22nd to 24th. At, for no other reason than you'll get to meet Andrew Lawton live in person. No, that that's not a selling point, I assure you. <laughs> but uh, there, I, I will say I was very humbled because I, I did the uh, the Red Deer edition of this a few months back, and I had people that said, "Oh, I'm I'm here for you," and I'm like, "Really? People do that?" So, uh, if you do come out for whatever reason, we appreciate it very much. Uh, Jamil Giovanni, we'll talk to you soon, sir. And if not, we'll see you in Ottawa. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for your time, Andrew. All right. I love Jamil. He's great. And he's done uh, such great work with that organization. They're putting together all of this uh, regular programming uh, that I, I don't always make it to all of them live. But uh, the critical race theory one is definitely one that uh, rattled some cages. And I think uh, you could probably put on a bumper sticker. I'm not doing this for James Moore's approval, uh, which might be an oddly specific bumper sticker, but you never know. Uh, that does it for us for today. We'll be back tomorrow with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. Uh, have a great rest of the day. A great evening uh, wherever you are in the country or the world we wish you well thank you god bless and good day to you all thanks for listening to the andrew lawton show support the program by donating to true north at www.tnc.news